without further ado, thank you very much everyone for showing up and I am happy, very delighted and honored to introduce Lenora and take it away, Lenora. Wow, thank you, Natalie. My name's Lenora. I am a recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic bulimic, and I too am very honored to be um, talking today. I'm going to be reading some pages from the big book that I've selected. Uh, I'm going to share my experience, strength, and hope on step one. Uh, admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. And listen, I did not get nervous about this. I was kind of apprehensive over the last three weeks. Um, you know, someone said they would do it in our inner group. And I said, well, okay, you take it away and I'll do the next one. She said, no, you go ahead and do it, Lenore. And I go, oh, what have I gotten myself into? And then I went, okay, so this is me and God working on this. And, you know, I turn over the words that I'm going to share to God. And I hope that God's message comes through. If one person clicks and goes from step zero to step one, then I've done my work. I am here to be a vessel of God. And that's all I'm here for, to share my experience, strength, and hope. And that's what I have. I am just a member of Overeaters Anonymous. That's all. I'm nobody special, except we're all unique in our own individual ways. So here I go. The first thing I'd like to share is from the forward to the first edition. This is the forward to... This is the foreword as it appeared in the first printing of the first edition in 1939. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. When I read that five years ago, when I came back to the program after being gone for 10 years, I went, oh my gosh, recovered really hit me. It's like I was working the steps with my sponsor and I went, am I recovered or am I recovering? Where am I at? I think I was around step three and um, I was really excited to get this recovered thing. And I had been thinking of it because I've been in AA since, um, since I was 19. And um, I had started OA somewhere around 20 or 21. So I've been involved in this program for a long time. But I don't think I had ever wholeheartedly admitted to myself that I had an overeater's mind. So I'm going to be talking basically from when I came back to this program. So I will continue on. I'm going to say a little bit about what the disease is. I don't think we can fully get to step one and understand, not understand what this disease is. That the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life. 
that we were in full flight from reality or that we were outright mental defectives. These things were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable extent with some of us, but we were sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. And please, as I read this book, talks about the alcoholic, changing your mind to compulsive eater. And so the doctor, Dr. Silkworth, who was a great doctor for Alcoholics Anonymous, um, is telling about how the disease is uh, allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And it's talking about how our bodies are so sickened when we pick up that first bite and our bodies want more and our mind tells us we need more. So we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as the altruistic plane. We favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. More often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached, as he, is then, as he has then a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. That the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. That the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. So my experience was step one. When I got here, I thought that I had it made. I came into this um, program thinking that because I had a diet plan and an exercise plan, I had just begun purging. And that's when my eating disorder went from eating um, grazing and eating extra food to full-on binges. And I really began that craving for more and more, and it was out of control. But because I had this exercise plan and, and this um, diet that I was living, and I could control it once in a while for short periods of time, I didn't think that step one applied to me. You know, that I wasn't powerless over the food all the time. So I couldn't accept step one. So step one was very hard for me. Um, I kept on going with the binging and purging. And sometimes I couldn't purge. So I would just have to do my binging and um, let it let it stay there and then I would start to put on weight and that's when I would start to remember or start to think wow I am really out of control I have no control over this and um, I would see the unmanageability of uh, and and the powerlessness of it but also how um, my life was unmanageable. I couldn't see that. I had a job, I had a marriage, and the marriage was good, but I couldn't fully have intimate relationships with people. I 
when they got too close, there was a block and I would have to run. And uh, my work habits could be better. Um, you know, uh, when I was sitting at work, I wanted the food. I was a waitress and a hostess. Um, but it wasn't real strong at work. So there was that, that thing going on. So I didn't understand it. People would say, well, don't you want to eat at work and everything? And, so, and I'd go, well, not real bad, only sometimes. And so I didn't see things that were going on all the time. But as time went on, I saw how it became clearer for me. And eventually I was able to accept step one. I think step one is not only about honesty with ourselves, it's about acceptance, and it's also about surrendering to something besides our way of doing things. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The, the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented. Unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stage of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of, in, of his recovery. On the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. The only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. And so I used to, like it says here, we went through the well-known stages of a spree and um, I'll sorry, I'm sorry, I'll go back here. Um, men and women drink essentially for the effect. Um, and the gaiety, the family atmospheres, um, having, having um, a few uh, bites of this or that, or a piece of this or that with our friends and the celebration of birthdays and um, graduations and things like that. And we like the taste of it and the gaiety and everything like I suggested. And then we want more and more, and we go through the sprees and the sprees, or just the grazing and the grazing, because not everybody has a binge, and not everybody grazes, but some people do it different ways. But it's if you're out of control, if it is affecting your life. And then I had these firm resolutions to not do it again. I would not do it. I would I would save it for the weekend, and then the week, weekend slopped over into Monday, and then Monday slopped over into Tuesday and Wednesday, and then pretty soon my week. Oh, okay. So you go on the the sprees, and um, 
emerging remorseful. And um, I got to the place where I finally was able to understand that the steps were the way that I was going to get beyond this compulsion. But I first had to accept, accept step one. And where it says, and as strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems, he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. The only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. And the simple rules are written out in the steps. And so there's work to be done. But the first work is the um, honesty to yourself and the acceptance of step one. And the only way to get there is by your experience with the food. And that's what I had to do. I had to go through my own experience with the food so that I could finally accept step one. And it was a surrender for me. I had to go, wow, my way isn't working. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. And this is Bill's story where he finally, he was at step one. And um, it's a wonderful story. If nobody's ever read the big book, pick up the big book because it's our Bible. It is where it tells us the steps and how to work them and how to have the obsession removed. And people used to tell me, why don't, um, I'm going to step ahead. I'm just going to touch on a little bit of step three. So if anyone's confused about a God in your life, I think you can choose step one and still begin to pray. I did. So I'm sharing my experience, strength, and hope. So if you're having trouble with the higher power, if you haven't step, accepted step one, um, this is who asked Bill, Bill Wilson, um, one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. He was having trouble with the God of his understanding. My friend suggested what seemed like a novel idea. He said, why don't you choose your own conception of God? That statement hit me hard. It melted the icy intellectual mountain in whose shadow I had lived and shivered many years. I stood in the sunlight at last. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make a beginning. And that is only a beginning that we have to make is to be willing to believe. And that's the way it started for me. Um, when I was at step one and first in the program, I used to ride my bike to work. And I would read the Our For Today book. And um, I remember the first thing, I just contemplated the things in the For Today book. So my prayer and meditation was contemplating that book. And I remember one day it was about powerlessness. And so I remember riding my bike and thinking about powerless. That's all I did while I rode my bike to work. And it started working. 
And pretty soon I was praying and meditating the best I knew how. And my head would go off and I couldn't do it very well, but I gave it a go. And it kind of started that lifetime of just giving it a go, just showing up, just being willing to take the action. And this is another part I really like in the book. I place myself unreservedly, unreservedly, sorry, under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that of myself I was nothing, that without him I was lost. I don't care if you think of him as a, as a him and it, a he, a she, a whatever, the wind, a plant, a tree, a doorknob. Whatever it is that you see as a higher power. When I say my, I go through steps one through three when I say my prayers in the morning and then I go on to say some more and then I do my meditation. It's quality, not quantity. And I, my step one is thank you for the gift of abstinence. And I add sobriety because I'm in AA. And without you, I am nothing. I always meditate on that for a few seconds because it's so powerful to me. And that's a part I really love in the book. And then down here in Bill's story still, it says, I was to test my thinking by the new God consciousness within. Common sense would thus become uncommon sense. And then it goes on to talk about what to do um, through your day, and I'm not going to get into that since we're talking about step one. I'd like to mention here, we of Alcoholics Anonymous know thousands of men and women who were once just as hopeless as Bill. Nearly all have recovered. They have solved the drink problem. But there exists, there exists among us a fellowship, a friendliness, and an understanding which is indescribably wonderful. We are like the passengers of a great liner, the moment after rescue from shipwreck, when camaraderie, joyousness, and democracy pervade the vessel from steerage to captain's table. The feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement which binds us. But that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious love. This is the great news that this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. And so they talk about the illness again. It engulfs all whose lives touch the sufferer. It brings misunderstanding, fierce resentment, financial insecurity, disgusted friends and employers, warped lives of blameless children, sad wives and parents. Anyone can increase the list. But the X problem drinker, and this is talking about uh, there is a solution. The problem drinker who has found the solution and who is talking to someone else who isn't recovered yet. The ex-problem drinker who has found this solution, who is properly armed with the facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hour, hours. 
And, um, you know, we're so blessed to have this information because knowledge alone would never have done it. I've tried having the knowledge of the exercise programs, the right, the right way to eat. And all of those things singly are good things. But without a spiritual life, I'm doomed. That's just the way it is for me. And I came to accept that when I accepted step one and then took the other steps one by one. And then we feel that the elimination of drinking is but a beginning. A much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. The fact that most alcoholics, for reasons that obscure, have lost the power of choice and drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring about our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even week, a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. And I realized that time and time as I went through my life, I looked back at my food history. And I remember when I was a little girl, I saw pictures and um, I was heavy sometimes and then I wasn't. And and then I was, and I didn't remember my eating, but I remember how my eating changed when I turned 12 or 13. Um, that was around the time my parents divorced, when I was about 10 or 11. And um, I saw how my eating changed. I used to started sneaking food and eating double of what I wanted. And how the uh, manifestation of the disease started catching up with me. And my willpower was no good when it came to food. And I saw that as I looked back. And the time where this time I'll handle it ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. I can just relate to all of that. And I'm sure as I talk about these words, um, taking it personally, I, I bet a lot of you can relate to this. None of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for the successful consummation. Um, we saw that it really worked in others, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the kit, the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven, and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. And, you know, I used to think, what is this kit of spiritual tools? I didn't know what it was. This was a few years ago. And I thought, what is it? What is this kit? Is it the tools? It is, is it the slogans? Is it the steps? And you know what? It is the steps. It is willingness. It is willingness to take action, pick up the steps, start working them with the sponsor. We have the tools. Some people don't believe in the tools, but I'm sharing my experience, strength, and hope. The program as a whole. 
And um, that's what I use. I use anything I can get my hands on. We have the other books. We have um, Overeaters Anonymous 12 and 12. We have the AA 12 and 12. We have a lot of OA books. And they're all there for the reading. And um, we have a lot of things online, podcasts, and other kinds of meetings, uh, Vision for You. There's a lot to be taken advantage of. So uh, take what you like and leave the rest. That's what I always say. Um, my life has become so um, wonderful. I can't believe it. The work I have done through the steps, um, accepting step one, uh, and then moving on to two, three, four, all the way through 12. I, I trust God. I continue to clean house and I give back to others. And that is something that my 10 years in OA in the beginning, I never consistently did. I did the best I could with what I had to work with at the time, but it didn't keep me here. And it didn't keep me abstinent. I just wasn't ready to do the work. I wasn't willing enough. I wasn't willing to go to any length for victory over food. I still had reservations. So it took me 10 years being out of OA. I still worked a program. I still worked it within the confines of my AA program. But it kept me isolated. It kept me cut off totally from the sunlight of the spirit, even though I had God in my life. But I didn't have you, and I need you. So um, I want to just end this with reading the little verb out of acceptance on page 417. For step one, and acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing. Absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and in my attitudes. And with that, I'm going to shut her down and open it back up. Turn it back to Natalie, or what? Are we doing questions and answers? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Thank you so much, Lenore. Um, all right, so okay. now we're going to open it up for questions and answers. And uh, thank you again, Lenora, for your share. And uh, if you have a question, please raise your hand, and I will try to uh, see you and call on you. And um, if you're on the phone just calling in, the way you raise your hand is by pressing star nine. So does anybody have a question for Lenora? I do. This is Natalie M. Hi, Natalie. Go ahead. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Lenora. Um, thank you so much for your share. 
very um, insightful. And I really like the reading that you just read at the end. We'll love to hear where you found that. Um, but yeah, I heard you talking about the uh, length of time it took to become willing that, you know, just you and, and, I, and I love that surrender that, you know, I just wasn't ready. I did the best I could, but I wasn't yet willing. And I wonder if you could just maybe just give like the top three things or, or just reflect a little bit on um, what is it that makes someone become willing? I, I know with working responses and even my own history, um, what would you pinpoint as for your experience um, that was that turning point that makes you finally say, okay, I, I'm willing now to do anything. Thank you. Thank you. That's a great question. First of all, um, the acceptance I read is on page 417 in the big book, the fourth edition. Thank you. Okay. And um, for me, uh, the period of time, the 10 years I wasn't in OA, um, I was uh, being sloppy with my food. Um, I pushed my, my boundary was no binging and vomiting. And I pushed that way to the limit, way to the limit. And, but I didn't cross it. And then I wound up practicing anorexia. And I lived in so much fear. It was just, I was consumed by fear. And my doctors had written, every time I visited a different doctor, they wrote anorexia on it. And I was going, why are they writing that on all my papers? I am not anorexia. It's my illnesses that I have that's causing me not to keep weight on. And I was 90 pounds. And, um, and sometimes it'd go up to 95. And um, as soon as my pants got tight, I, I was eating three meals a day. That's why I thought I was abstinent. But each time my pants got tight, I'd cut my food back. And so um, one day I told my best friend, she asked me about the anorexia and I said, no, I don't have an appetite sometimes and I'm fine. I was in denial to the max. And then one day I was looking out my window, watering my plants and um, I had a moment of clarity. And it was like a light bulb went on on the top of my head. And it was a message from God. And God let me know. And I went, oh, my God, I'm practicing anorexia. And I need to get to a meeting. And that was my boom. I am done with the food. I do not want to be any older messing around with the food. I'm a compulsive overeater, I'm anorexic, and I'm bulimia, I've done it all. I've choose fit, I've, I've done all the little things you can do with food, and I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so when I got to meetings, I, I put it out to God to find a sponsor, and I found a sponsor, and we started working together. I was hungry to work the steps. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Go ahead, Shirley. Thank you. I'm Shirley, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Can everybody hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. Yes. Hi, Shirley. Well, hi. Hi, Lenora. I have a question about surrender because 
I stopped eating sweets because I was pre-diabetic and I was listening to the part about liking the taste and I still miss the taste even after a whole year of not eating sweets and, and I know that they're poison for me because um, I got down to a normal blood sugar now that I'm not eating them, but I still miss the taste. So how do you surrender something like that? And I know that, you know, I, I can't eat sweets anymore because they're deadly for me. This is what I do when I'm struggling with something. Um, I have, um, I've recovered from the obsession. It has been lifted from me. I can walk by most, th most things and not, and not have any problem with it at all. And um, as, if I'm having a problem with something, <clears throat> I don't have a taste come up for me for sugar. But um, I did practice in abstinence having sugar because I didn't think I had a problem with it. But I had to go on surrendering it because I started getting satiated and satiated with it. And I finally got to the place where I do not want to go out over this. And so I was like liking something I was having way too much. And so I finally surrendered in, in abstinence. I surrendered this stuff and, um, and it was a biggie for me. But when I'm going through something, when I'm saying step three, I, I turn my will, my life, and this certain something over to you, God. I am no longer in control. And then I meditate on it a few minutes, making sure that I'm surrendering it. And that's how I work my program with something like that. Thank you. I turn it over. Thank you. I hope that helped. I'm still working on the higher power. Still working on the higher power, but thank you. Being willing. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I see Amy has a question. Go ahead, Amy W. Lenora, thank you so much for your share today. Just got so much out of it and hearing your story and especially reading from the big book and the doctor's opinion. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about working with sponsees regarding step one and about that surrender, but also how that then translates into the food plan and perhaps an unwillingness to give up something that seems like a problem. And I wondered how you, how you navigated that with sponsees as they're journeying through their own, you know, surrender and, and food. Ooh. Ooh, thank you, Amy. Good to see you. You know what, that, that is definitely a challenge for me, but I, like we've talked before, I always have to remember I have a sponsor. I have other people to go to when I have a challenge and then I'm a vessel of God. And um, I've been working with a couple of people that have challenges with letting go of some of the foods they're eating. And we start right where they're at. Um, I always ask them to name their binge foods. Um, and what foods they may be having problems with. 
that aren't necessarily binge foods, but they have those problems with, and they're not willing to let go of them yet. And so I ask them to observe, observe themselves, and when it gets to be muddy waters, you know, they need to start looking at surrendering it. And it's, it can be a process till you hit surrender. And um, I think the thing is, is a sponsor and a sponsor, a sponsor and a sponsoring need to be real honest with each other. And that's a process too. Um, I can't change what a sponsee does. And so all I can give is my experience, strength, and hope. If they're not willing to let go of something I see, I can't change that. You know, I just tell them what I've done in my experience, like I shared with my own experience with sugar. It got to where I wanted more and more of these things, or I obsessed on them more and more mentally. And I knew I needed to let go of them, and I didn't want to go out. I don't know if that helps, but that's my process with it. You know, and I keep working with them, and they keep, if they keep sticking with me, and, and they keep, if they keep being willing, then we can work together. I've come to a point where I've had to let some people go because I'm working my program too hard. Um, and there's no benefit going on. You're Thanks. muted. Thank you. Uh, sorry. Yeah, Thank you very much. Hear you. That answered it. Thanks, Lenora. Okay, and I see Grace has her hand uh, raised. So, Grace, I'm going to unmute you, or you're unmuted. Go ahead, Grace. Thank you. Hey, Lenora, I have um, a hard time comprehending the serious the peculiar mental twist part of this. I know that we have a disease that is an allergy of those foods that make me eat and a peculiar mental twist. Can you talk more about that? Oh boy, yes. I, when I was eating, that peculiar mental twist, it talks about it in the book, and I didn't go into it more um, with Fred. He, um, you know, he walked across the, uh, I, I can't quote this uh, verbatim, but he, I, I just read it, and he was walking across somewhere, a saloon or a bar room or something like that, and he turned to go in. He said he was going to have a couple drinks, and then he did, and he went away, and then he had a couple more. And then uh, next morning, he went on a flight to New York and everywhere, and he got off, and um, he went, what in the heck happened to me? And, and what happened was he gave no thought at all to what he had done. He gave no thought. He just went ahead and went and had those drinks. And um, that's the peculiar mental twist. It's like he didn't even think about it. He just went and did it, and he didn't even think of the consequences this time. And he wound up all messed up again. And, um, you know, knowledge hadn't saved him. You know, um, 
um, thinking about his wife and what she might do didn't save him, you know, um, what would happen to his marriage, his business, nothing. It didn't matter, you know. He just turned and went in and had the drinks. And so in my eating, that's what I used to do. And I had to continue to do that until I hit a place of surrender, until I hit my bottom, until I was done. And that was when I was in anorexia. That took me 10 years. That took me 10 years of being willing, trying to get my willingness to go to a meeting. And it wasn't working, it wasn't happening. I kept writing in my For Today book. I didn't get to a meeting yet. I'm praying to go to a meeting. I'm praying to be willing. It didn't happen yet. And that went on and on and on. And sometimes my eating would be good. Sometimes I thought I was abstinent and I was abstinent. But, you know, then I wasn't. Then I was sloppy. Then I was low. You know, I did this, that, and the other thing. And um, I, I just couldn't get it until I could. And, um, and that's um, what the disease, that's how I can explain it. That, uh, you know, it's, we ingest the food, it starts that allergy of the body, which then starts the obsession of the mind. The food is in us, and we crave more. And then our head tells us that, okay, I want more, I need more, and it doesn't matter what she thinks of me, it doesn't matter what I think of me, I just want the food. I want to be okay, I want to feel okay, and this makes me feel good. And it overrides everything else. And we, we do it without thinking sometimes. And that's that queer mental twist that comes. We just walk in the house and we go to the food no matter how much program we've had. And it just, you know what, over time, it clicks in. I hope that helps. It does, thank you very much. Thanks, Ruby. Thanks, Grace. Quarantina, I see that you have a, your hand up. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Great. Hi, everybody. Thank you for holding the sacred space. And Lenora, thank you for being a beautiful lighthouse on this Sunday afternoon. Uh, just briefly, um, I'm wondering, thank you so much. I related to so much of what you shared, and I appreciate your courage and your clarity and your vulnerability and your trust in us. So um, I just wanted if you could touch touch on this a tiny bit, or maybe we could just talk on our own. I have mistaken under-eating for abstinence, and that's where I struggle. I, I eat so, my food plan is amazing. Uh, what I eat is amazing. The rabbits are jealous because I eat so much raw food and <laughs> salads, and you know, I heard them talking when I went on a hike. But um, the thing is, I'm not purposely restricting, but I'll catch myself restricting. Well, I'll say, when did I eat last? Wow, that was 11 hours ago. And, you know, and I love what you said about the spiritual life is the most important part of this whole thing. And it is. 
and and I know we're a spiritual pro program based on love and action. So I don't know if you want to throw a few words at that, but just I'm I you know I'm not purposely restricting, but I catch myself restricting. So anyway, thank you for your heart. Thank you. Restricting for me. Um, what I did when I came in here, I made a commitment to abstinence, to healthy abstinence. And <clears throat> my meals aren't big because I have a stomach disease. But I made a commitment to the abstinence that I could eat. And many times I wanted it to be smaller than, than I was having it. But I had made a commitment to eating my meals. I made that commitment to myself, to my sponsor, and that meant to God. I made that commitment to abstinence, and that's what that, that is about. I turned my food over to God so that I wasn't worrying about it anymore. It was out of my hands. It was in God's hands. So when I wanted to restrict, I didn't. I ate my food. When I wanted to overeat, I didn't. I ate my food. When I felt like I wanted more, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't. And if I needed to call somebody, I did. Those rare times that in, in the beginning, I had the craving for about three weeks. I just didn't pick up no matter what because I knew the cravings would pass. I'd been through it enough in my lifetime to know that. I knew it intellectually, but I felt it in my heart. And so I practiced everything that I had heard all my life. I was, um, I wanted this so bad. I was so hungry to be recovered. I didn't want to mess around anymore. I just didn't. And everybody can have this. And so, I make those commitments now. Every once in a while, I go, oh, my God, I missed my snack. And I go, oh, yeah, that's right. Lose a couple more pounds. And then I go, no, that's not what this is about. But it's too close to dinner now. And I'm type 1 diabetic. So, you know, I know how horrendous that is. And I have to be, I have to have a watchful eye. But I've turned all that over. So that doesn't happen very often. But, um, you know, all of it is in God's hands. And when I really, yes, what would you like to say? So does that mean that you have dinner when you're not hungry, your meal when you're not hungry? Yes. Okay. I eat them That's on time. Okay. Thank you for sharing. Yes, thank you. Thanks, everybody. I'm Anna Compulsive Eater. Hi, and uh, I'm also a recovering alcoholic, and um, I've been in and out of OA for over 30 years. I came into OA after I got sober. I have 30, 33 years of um, sobriety, but um, you're right. You have to be willing to stop, you know, and uh, my challenge has been uh, when I get into fear, you know, I, I immediately want to reach for the food as my comforter. And um, so lately I've just had to pray or call somebody or write about it 
and with this pandemic i i haven't been working and i i live alone you know so it's a challenge not to eat you know when you're feeling lonely and so um i just been going to lots of zoom meetings and talking to other people and uh, just connecting you know and um beans are really helping me um i have um two weeks of abstinence from sugar now i'm a sugar addict and i'm starting a new food plan tomorrow um and i'm so happy that i have my higher power who i call god you know that can help me when i i always knew that god would help me with my you know my alcohol and that i could quit drinking but for some reason i i didn't associate god with quitting eating you know and um so I really had to put that into focus and, and ask God to help me, you know, and I do that every morning. Now I ask God to help me to stay on my food plan and that's really helping. And, um, so I'm, I'm really grateful that I have OA. I'm grateful I have these zoom meetings and I'm, I'm grateful that I have, um, my God, my life in the 12 steps, you know, I've been attending step meetings too, which has been really helpful. So thank you again for sharing with us. Thank you, Lily. Does anyone else have a question? We'll move on to sharing in a minute if uh, nobody else has a question. All right, so if you have a question, you, oh, wait a minute. Oh, Amy, what do you, did you want to say something? Or are you just saying hi, Amy? Are you waving to somebody else? I, I do, yeah, I have, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I'd love to ask one more. Yeah, go um, ahead, yeah. Amy, hi everybody, Amy, recovered compulsive eater. Uh, Lenora, you had mentioned um, that you do step one every day, and I just wondered if you could talk a little more about how you do integrate step one into your life on a daily on a daily basis. Oh, and by the way, I'm sorry, Lenora, before you answer that, Natalie, thank you, by the way, so much for your service today. Thank you so much. Yeah, right on. Um, I do step one. I don't know if... I'm wondering, that's an odd question for me because I don't know if I integrate it, but I like to start my day with step one because it reminds me that I am powerless and that it's a gift for me. I like to, when I, I thank God for the gift of abstinence because I believe get, abstinence is laid at each of our feet. We have yet to just pick it up and accept it. But we have to go through the trials and tribulations to get there where we just pick it up and accept it. So I've accepted it. So I thank God for the gift. And then I say, without you, I am nothing. But then lately I've been saying, I am powerless over food. And without you, my life is unmanageable. Because when I accept that, that step, new power flows in. You know, once we go through steps one, two, and three, I've accepted it all. I've accepted God, and new power flows in. And then I can, I, I'm seemingly enjoying life, you know, and it just flows. I wear life like a loose garment. And um, then when I take back my will in, in ways here and there, it doesn't flow so easily and I start stumbling around. And um, so in step one, 
Um, I just like to say, you know, God, I'm here. I'm letting you know that um, I am powerless still, you know, and I have accepted this gift that you have given me. It's not me that is, is in control of this. You have given it to me, and you're the number one main man. Thanks. And I see Sandy has a question, and then we'll get to Stephanie. So, Sandy, go ahead. Hi. Thank you so much. Thank you, Leonora. It's so great to be here. Really appreciate thank it, you, especially reading the big book. Question, if you could kind of, uh, I'm going to use the word kind of flesh out, um, that you eat even when you're not hungry. I'm, I'm trying to figure out, is that a physical issue, a spiritual issue? And because you have diabetes, I have the opposite. I, have, I can have severe hypoglycemia. It's, um, I'm doing well, uh, bobble with it during COVID because of the lack of exercise. Mm -hmm. Just kind of, you, you could talk a little more about that. That is such a new concept to me, eating when you're not hungry. Just want to hear about your experience a little more. Thank you. Thank you. I learned when I came into OA, and I, I kind of learned that before I came into OA, to eat meals at mealtimes. And um, that was very helpful for me because I'd eat them off schedule and everything and wouldn't have lunch and then I'd ha want to have a lot at dinner and things like that. But um, when I came into OA, it was important to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like when normal people eat their, their meal times. And um, for me now, um, I don't get hungry very often. When I do get hungry, it's because my sugars are going low. And so that's a sign for me that my sugars are going low. So when it's time for me to have lunch, it's important that I eat at certain times because of my diabetes. So that is one thing. So it's, it's a physical thing for me and it's also a mental thing and it's a spiritual thing it all has to do with i am not in charge i've made a commitment to abstinence part of that abstinence is to eat my meals and my snacks on time i eat lunch at noon noon to 12 30 have my snack at 3 30 to 4 and my uh, dinner at 7 sometimes at 6.30 and uh, sometimes it's not till 8.30 after a meeting, but I have my snack, so it carries me over. And I have a few tricks up my sleeve with uh, blood sugar tablets and things like that, but I have um, times, you know, and it really helps me not to uh, get to the point where I want to eat too much at another meal. And then I, I measure my food and stuff like that. And I'm just, I've been doing it for 40 years. So I accepted it way in the beginning. And, and uh, so that's what works for me. And everybody finds what works for them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Stephanie, you're up, girly. 
Um, my name is Stephanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater bulimic, and I want to thank Natalie so much for your service. And um, and Lenora, thank you for um, for your willingness and your honesty and your vulnerability. And you know, in in terms of this step one and how when we link up with a with a sponsee and um, they ask or um, us to be their sponsor. Um, how do you, what is your first initial um, um, agreements, you know, with your sponsees about this, you know, um, entire abstinence? And how do you convey that, what that means in terms of um, your uh, relationship with them? Um, it, you know, in the beginning. So how does that work for you? And do you have um, uh, a, a particular method or, you know, something that you've used that's been um, tried and true, you know, over, you know, your many years or does it, is it flexible depending on each, on each uh, sponsor, individual sponsee, just kind of a rough um, sketch of what that would look like if I asked you to be my sponsor. <laughs> right now, good question. What would you, what would you good question. Especially with the plan of eating too, because that's something that just had come up for me. So thank you. Thank you very much. You know what I find is everybody is different, so I'm real flexible um, because of my experience and what I've been through, and what I found is everybody is in a different place and everybody needs to start where they're at some people are willing to get plain abstinence right away other people aren't so much and they're really scared and they're not ready for that yet so i ask them what are you willing to do what are you willing to let go of right now what are your binge foods? What can you let go of? What are you willing to let go of? Remember, you are not in control anymore. You wound up here. This is a different way of looking at food, at life, at everything, at God. You know, so we start here. And um, so I work with them. And what I find is if they hang in there, they start to develop and change, and they become more willing. I'm working with someone right now that, um, you know, she's a compulsive overeater and a, and a restrictor. So she goes back and forth. And she's come to let go of some things just in the last couple months we've been working together. And so I work with them where they're at, as long as they're willing. And so, um, you know, if they're not willing, it's a waste of my time. And there's somebody else, you know, in the chapter working with others. You know, I'll give it a good shot because I'm loyal. And I'll give it a good shot. But there's somebody else in the wings that wants my help. You know, so I, I will only hang in there so long. And this, is, this has changed. You know, it's transpired over the last two or three years. Um, you know, I was, I wasn't setting my boundaries real well. You know, I was doing your program more for you. Sponsoring is for me. 
this is for me to save my life. I can't keep what I don't give away, but, I, but I'm also willing to work with you. If you're willing to work with me, you know, it's, it's, we're doing this thing together. You know, and um, so I don't have one method. Each, each person is individual. So we, we take it from there. But I'm, I'm um, assertive, but I'm fair. And um, and so that's the way I work. Thank you, my male lady friend. <laughs> Does anyone else have a question for Lenora? Okay, then I think we're going to open it up to sharing. And uh, Amy and Lenora, or I mean, yeah, Amy and Lenora and Stephanie and whoever is on the board, if I, if I think what I'd like to do is limit the sharing to your experience with step one and your hope on that. You guys think that works? Yeah. If anybody doesn't, then just let me know. Sounds good. Okay. So what I'd like to do is if you would raise your hand uh, again, star nine, if you're calling in. And then I will call on you for sharing. So we'll open it up for sharing. And I think we should keep the sharing to about two minutes. Does that make sense to you guys? I guess we didn't talk about this before. So I'm doing a little housekeeping. Um, is there someone who would be willing to be a timer? Well, you know what? I'll do the timing. That's fine. Uh, I'm the moderator. Okay. So um, we are open for sharing. And I see Elaine would like to share. So go ahead, Elaine. Hi, <laughs> I'm Elaine, a compulsive overeater recovered. And um, Lenora, I want to thank you for your your beautiful recovery, your beautiful presentation. It's so obvious to me when I hear you to hear recovery, and it's um, you're at peace, you're happy, um, and when you talk about God, it's clear that you've turned your life over to the care of God. You look to God for direction. Uh, with sponsees, with all of this, and it's um, it's beautiful. And it's it's when you talk about step one, um, it, you're talking you're talking about your desperation, you, the the years that you went through, um, feeling like uh, miserable, but you hadn't hit bottom. You weren't desperate enough, and that desperation is I, I get it because I I feel it every day. I. And it's, it's not about uh, the food. It hasn't been about the food for me for a while, for quite a while. It's knowing that I'm powerless, you know, just knowing that um, I have to turn my life over to God for direction. That um, by myself, um, you know, whether it's food or whether it's me trying to control out of fear, it's all out of fear, but it's me trying to control. And, um, I recognize with step one, I've, I've, I've hit my bottom. I've hit my desperation. I have, I'm powerless and therefore I need a power and I can then, you know, recognize that there is a higher power than myself and I can turn my life over to them, to him or her. Thank you so much. You're just inspiring. Thank you. Thanks, Elaine. Would anybody else like to share? If no one else would like to, I'm, I would like to. Um, I'm Natalie, recovered compulsive overeater. 
Thank you so much, Lenora, for your share. And uh, I love, you know, your um, process sounds like it mirrors my own a little. And what I want to say about step one is I first came into program 10 years ago and I was fully aware, I had fully conceded that I was powerless over food. But I did not know what, I did not understand what that meant. So I got an abstinence, I worked with a sponsor, and for 10 years I've had a lot of recovery in the program, lost 70 pounds, been, ha had an abstinence that grew over time. I, did, I wasn't what I've heard of as entirely abstinent during that time, but I did have some recovery. But the food kept calling to me. I would still have cravings, and my sponsor would suggest that maybe I needed to give up sugar. Okay, but I would kind of give up some sugar, not sugar, but not all the sugar. You know, and uh, uh, I wasn't, I didn't understand. So see, I know I'm powerless. I'm saying that. I know I'm powerless. I've got the, I get the curious mental twist. I get all of that. But I still don't comprehend what that really means until one day listening to a different podcast and I go, oh, I'm still eating the foods that trigger the allergy inside of me. And if I'm still doing that, no matter what I do to work this program, I'm never going to have the obsession lifted. And I had to get real with myself. Powerless means I can't have any of the foods I know will trigger that allergy. Or that without them, I will, I will want to eat them again, you know, without this program. So I appreciate, Lenora, what you shared. And, and I, I bit, I've got entirely abstinent about seven months or eight months now. And it's the difference in that program and this program, you, you know, what I'm doing now and uh, what I did back then is enormous. I don't, the food doesn't call anymore and that's a miracle. So that's it for me. Thanks, Natalie. Andriette, I see that you have your hand raised. I hope I said your name right. Uh, you said it perfectly. Hi, I'm Andriette. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, hi, Andrea. Hi, thanks. Lenora, thank you so much for your share. Thank you for reminding me, or not reminding me, but sharing your experience, strength, and hope, because I, I'm still in step one, and I am about, um, what's today's date? Today's, so 13 days for me with no recreational sugar. Um, and it came really, I've, I've known, um, not the crosstalk, but I've known like uh, what someone else has shared, that I'm powerless over food for the longest time. It's not rocket science. I actually had gastric bypass surgery in uh, 17, 2017, lost weight. This is the closest I ever came to that fantasy that as a compulsive overeater I've had or of an overweight person I've had of losing weight while you were seemingly asleep and you wake up the next morning and five months later I was, you know, 80 pounds thinner. Um, and that was the physical recovery I had and a lot of the health issues that I dealt with because of the, um, um, the weight uh, were lifted and it was great, but I hadn't really worked on the real problem. And that's just the fact that I had still used food for a uh, solution and I did not have the spiritual recovery. And so then with everything that's been happening with COVID, I found that um, um, I really was spiraling back in, oh, I discovered I could eat sugar again. That's another thing. After the bypass surgery, I couldn't eat sugar. But slowly I found that I could tolerate the sugar and it came from just a little bit of sugar to with COVID a lot more sugar. And next thing I knew I was gaining the weight back and I could feel that powerlessness. I know I'm powerless. So fortunately with 12 step programs being on zoom, I started going to more meetings. I had been away from OA for a long time. So I came back to OA uh, feeling that kind of 
anxiety that someone who knows who doesn't know how to swim feels when you're in the deep end of the, or the or the ocean and you feel like the water's going over your head and you feel like you have to do something and i hear people talking about doing the steps using the steps so i would frantically go from workshop to workshop okay i'm going to do this workshop about the steps i got the sponsor because that's what someone told me to do and i still felt like i was drowning june 1st i got on the scale again and i gained <laughs> five more pounds and so i felt that urgency i've got to do something i've got to work the steps and my sponsor saying, well, this isn't the right 12-step workshop for you. Wait. But I said, okay, I'll look for another one because I kept feeling like this was something that I had to control. And my um, sponsor finally said, okay. She said, Andriette, just take direction. And I did it. And the miracle of miracles happened. The obsession was lifted. I've now had 13 days, no sugar, and no recreational sugar. I'm still working on other things that have sugar added in it. But it's just a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. So the willingness for me comes in just surrender. That's it. I'm willing to surrender. And then I'll work on the other 12 steps as they come along. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Andre. Right Thank you. And congratulations. Who else would like to share? Sharing on step one, your experience, strength, and hope. Oh, I see Aaron. Go ahead, Aaron. You have your hand up. Hey, thanks. I'm Erin, Compulsive Overeater. Um, thank you, Lenora. Hi, Loved your story and inspiration. Um, I'm very new in the program, about six weeks, and um, I think I've completed step one, but it's just still it's just still fuzzy for me. I spent the first five weeks, um, despite 30 years of research proving I'm a compulsive eater, I needed to, I feel like I was kind of throwing a temper tantrum about it and not willing to accepted for a long time and I just needed to do my own research and figure out that um, nope indeed you know this is where I need to be and so I I'm on day five of what I've um, marked as my abstinence and, and so after doing like the disease was raging once I started coming to this program like it just went crazy and I think that was finally my proof of I need to do something differently. And so because of that, like, so as much as I feel like in my heart, no, I've accepted it now and I am doing it differently. I mean, they haven't had five days and how many weeks and that feels like a big step. And then at the same time, I see myself, thanks. I see myself, um, I'm very like extreme, right? So I see the pendulum still going this way now and just, probably being overly careful, um, still using the scale less, but still using the scale. And so I just, and still trying to get to my pre-quarantine weight, right? And so I just, um, I'm struggling with like, have I really accepted that I'm powerless if I'm still showing these signs of control? And so, um, you know, but at the same time, I accept that maybe I, I, I just need to keep doing the next right thing. I don't know the answer to that today, but I'm here and we'll probably do another meeting tonight. And I know that there will be more to be revealed and maybe I don't need to know everything right now, which is difficult. Um, but I just appreciate the diversity in meetings and figuring, you know, like finding all these workshops and hearing other people speak because it's, it's really empowering and inspiring and hopeful. So thanks everybody. Thanks, Aaron. Well, now it's perfect timing. <laughs> Does anybody else want to share? 
I just want to say thank you, Natalie. Pamela, I see you've got your hand raised. Go ahead. Okay, so I don't know if you can see me or not. We can see you and hear oh, There we go. Uh, hello there, everyone. Thank you for putting this on. And Lenora, you always inspire me. It's like, wow. I was um, going to meet a fellow this morning, a program fellow and take a walk um, in the hills and that didn't work out. And this happens to be, I'm not even married anymore. I'm still tracking. This was my anniversary date, you know, <laughs> been Ooh. divorced for almost a year. And it's like all those little hotbeds. And uh, just a reminder, I'm on my way back. I, I sat in the car for a while, uh, waiting to see if my friend was gonna contact me. I'm on my way back and then all of a sudden a donuts thought pops in my head then it's like I was going to wash my car and I was going to go to um you know to AM PM and it's like the AM PM it's like you know something girl you are a compulsive overeater that's just a thought the mental twist that says that something is going to work out better than God but thank God I know the truth now the solution is like I'm always going to be a compulsive overeater I'm always going to have that mental twist because it's a spiritual solution so at that moment, it's like, it's either the food or it's going to be God. And I am powerless over the food once it gets started. And thank God I don't have to do that today. I get to call a fellow. I get to come home and get on this workshop. So thank you for putting it on and take a pause. And of course, when I work it, the food no longer costs as long as the poison yeah. is not in my system. So I am so grateful for you all and Lenora. Thanks again for your hand and your inspiration and everybody that's on the line. It's, it's like nice to see familiar faces and knowing you all are just a text or a call or a prayer or a way. We're not meant to do this alone. So thank you again. Sure. Thank you, Lenora. Thanks, I, the inner group. Ciao, bye. Thank you. Every day, baby. Every day. Powerless every day. <laughs> Thank you, Pamela. Bye. Anyone else like to share? Go ahead, Stephanie. Hi, my name is Stephanie, compulsive overeater, bulimic, um, recovered. Oh, I'm so inspired because I've, you know, I have felt, you know, um, the powerlessness and unmanageability, um, you know, and especially in our, in these trying times um, of uh, the spiritual pandemic and turning my food over to my, you know, to my sponsor was, you know, um, was a huge part of this conceding to my innermost self that I have this disease, right? So to be completely honest about what I was eating on in a 24 hour period, I mean, everything that I ate that um, was, was part of uh, this entire abstinence for me. Um, because otherwise I was lying, cheating and stealing and trying to get away with a little bit extra or a little less or whatever it was I was trying to control and manage. And uh, this, these more behavioral issues for me um, in terms of this um, unmanageability. Uh, and, you know, it helped me so much to have that 
sober eating worksheet that shows me exactly. I write down what foods that my alcoholic foods, what are those specifically in each ingredient, not just the, the, you know, the donut or whatever, but what are the ingredients in that particular food item? So, and, and then sussing that out and really taking a look at it and knowing that, you know, um, you trying to use my will and, you know, my power is, is futile and it's fatal. So it's great. And then behavioral, I didn't realize because I thought I had conceded to my innermost self and I thought I was doing the thing. I knew it like, you know, thank you, Natalie, for, um, uh, for that insight as well. I thought I knew what that meant until I relapsed again and then had to take, really take a good hard look. What was I doing? What, hap what happened? And then my sponsor kind of points me back to let's look what the behavior is that triggered the obsession. And so for me, that was a whole laundry list of behaviors that then revealed to me my powerlessness, right? So I got to really link everything up to, you know, in this gluttony and sloth, those two little bedfellows, right? Me, you know, binging on Netflix. And, and then that just, that binge then created that, you know, that hunger for, another checkout, something to, you know, to numb me out. And then it just kind of, it just kept this cycle, this vicious cycle in motion. So it was really interesting to then have the alcoholic foods. Is it time? Is it okay? Yeah. Alcoholic foods, behaviors, and then have your food plan. So all of those things work together. So to come out of the closet with it. So, and into the light, you know, the sunlight of the spirit. So Thanks for letting me share. That's just my two cents. Bye. Thank you. Okay, I see that uh, Amy has her hand up. So go ahead, Amy. Thank you, Natalie. Uh, it's good to see everyone's faces and be together today. I'm so grateful for this meeting. And um, yes, yeah, step one, <laughs> I am... Um, I, you know, I had learned, oh, step one is a conclusion step. We admitted we were powerless over food and our life was unmanageable. And I knew that. I, I admitted that. I felt that. That was 100% I was in. And yet I kept relapsing over and over and over and over again. So it was something I knew in my head but, and Lenora, you spoke to this, I didn't know it in my heart. And it took relapse and getting to new lows and getting to new lows and getting to new lows before I could finally, and so low that I felt like, I don't really need to be here on the planet. I don't really, I'm good to go. I've had a good run and, um, you know, just take me, God, don't make it too grisly for my kids, but take me. Anyway, what I want to say is like, yes, step one's a conclusion step, but when we talk about entire abstinence, the word entire, and Lenora, you touched on this, every time I took an extra bite, and this is just me with what I need to do for my abstinence and my food plan that lends itself to my abstinence, is every time I took an extra, even if it was food, it was fine for me to eat, green light foods, they were fine, but when I took that extra bite, I felt, I've learned, I was saying to God, I got this. Remember, oh, I got this. I'm good. I, 
(laughs) It's just this. It's just a celery stick with some hummus on top. That's all it is. Not a big deal. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's, it is a big deal. It's telling God I got it. So that then took me right back to thinking I had power, which I don't. Then it led me right back to being at the helm, which then is self-will. My little plans and designs, stepping on the toes of others, and the whole thing rolls, right? And our problems pile up on us until they become astonishingly difficult to solve. So I just wanted to say, it's not just a conclusion step. It's also a willingness, Lenore, to your point about putting down behaviors and items that we're just still want to hold on to. And that's hard. It just, I, it, it's, it took a long time. It just took a long time. And you said that too, you know, 10 years, you know, for me, I was in relapse cycle for five years, but that was on top of others, you know? So I just, um, step one is done out there, isn't it? And it's, boy, we come in on our hands and knees. We come in on our hands and knees. And um, I'm grateful today to know this and to be with my higher power. And, you know, I can't keep what I don't give away. So um, I just appreciate you all so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. And Quarantina, you're up. Thank you. Uh, Natalie, thank you for being so wonderful at this um, with your beautiful self. So I just want to say very briefly, Lenora, what I wrote down, because my little signs help me, uh, is... Commitment to healthy abstinence. I like those three words together. They're bite-sized, quote-unquote bite-sized. And um, and yes, I appreciate and relate to a few other people, what they shared, and I'm reminded of that little prayer. Dear God, hurry up and give me patience. And <laughs> yes, every day I'm reminded of that. So it takes what it takes. My abstinence has many, many layers because I couldn't do it all at once. It would have felt like another diet or what have you. I don't want to take up a lot of time. So patience and acceptance and self-love and keep coming back. And I, I, love, I love the Zooming and I love my uh, Tuesday night group especially. And with that, I'll pass. Again, thank you and blessings to all. Thanks, thank you. Go ahead, Judy. Oh, I did it right. Yay. Hey. I'm, I'm Judy, recovering compulsive eater. I, I wanted to thank Lenora so much for your for your lead and your share and um, your experience, strength, and hope and the wisdom that you've gleaned over your years of um, keeping at it. You know, um, one of the things, and also thank you, Natalie, and the CIIG folks for for putting this on, and it's such a wonderful time for that, too. Now, um, I share in the, um, I'm a Zoom enthusiast. So anyway, um, the the thing that I really heard that that spoke so much to me was that it it can be a long journey from the head to the heart. And um, it's certainly been that way for me, Um, you know, and other people have shared this. No, it's like, I know that 
how much more can I know that yet, like Jim, you know, I can all of a sudden, you know, plop a shot of whiskey in my milk, I mean, so to speak. And it's like, what happened? You know, so um, anyway, for, for me, and, and also you talked about the food and the behaviors and the behaviors also having to be on the list. And uh, hmm, yeah, I've got some of those behaviors. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> thanks everybody. Thanks everybody for sharing and have a good weekend. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Okay, there I am. I'm trying to figure it out. Thanks so much. I, I, I uh, again, thanks so much for putting this on. And I was just thinking about all uh, the tidbits of wealth of information and everyone's experience, strength, and hope. And just remembering when I first came in the program, I came in from this practice where I was like paying so much attention to calories and exercise out and jumping on the scale every single day and all those things. And I came in and my sponsor, willingness to follow direction, had me, you know, go from uh, to once a week, then once a month, then not weigh. And then I had a new sponsor that wanted me to, to weigh. And so I was like consumed and fearful fearful but now the scale has become just a device for data i don't have to be afraid of it anymore and i don't do it often you know like once a month but it's just like information that helps me uh, to go forward and i was able to work from home um, these past three months and I just went back to my normal uh, work location and I was one of the people that working from home I have my refrigerator downstairs I have my own kitchen there's no break room you know I'm not standing in the line to use the toilet you know so just a little thing so I actually uh, lost weight uh, working from home so it is what it is and then going back to the office the break room is still there but the break room is not a temple and the break room is not my church my the break room is filled by people and the stuff that belongs in the break room except for what I put in the refrigerator has has nothing to do with me and that's the power I'm powerless over other people place and things I'm powerless over other situations and I don't get to take my holy scepter because I really don't have one to beat people up and stop them from doing what I think is wrong so there's a lot of things that I'm powerless over and the more things that I realize um, that I'm powerless over the more I'm willing to surrender and listen to guidance listen to the voice of my uh, of my higher power and take direction from my sponsor and from you all too so I learned a lot doing this whole ex experience thank you ciao thanks Pamela <laughs> ciao Okay, well, if there's nobody else that would like to share, um, I think unless the CIG has an other, another idea, we're going to wrap this up. Okay, thank you very much, Lenora, for your share. And thank you so much to everybody who attended and especially those from Northern California and uh, everywhere else who was a part of the Channel Islands Intergroup. It was so nice to have you with us. Uh, why don't we all unmute ourselves and we'll take a minute and uh, um, 
say the serenity prayer and then I'm going to leave the meeting when we're done, but this, we have this space until three. So if people want to do some fellow after, you know, afterwards fellowship, please feel free to stay on for a little while. So God, 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 God,